You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Let's go to the book of Job, chapter 27. Job, chapter 27. Now, I know uh, those of you who work in Awana, you're not in here for this series and, um, and so you don't really have the context, but you have the context of Job. Most of you, if I said, in fact, if you're not in here on Wednesdays, give me a quick synopsis of what you know about Job. If you, if you haven't been here for this series, anybody? What's that? Ashley? He lost everything. He lost everything. Okay. That's a, that is a very quick synopsis of the story of Job. Uh, after, so Job... After he loses everything, by the way, why did he lose everything? Was God punishing him? No. no. Why? So Satan was messing with him, Lynn says. That's right. Um, so Satan goes before God and he says, hey, um, God, in fact, he doesn't even bring up Job. God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none, there's none like him. There's no, right, no one righteous like him in, in all the earth. And he'd be like, I'm, I'm, Job is probably, it's a really good thing Job didn't hear that, right? What? What are you saying? And so, uh, so God gives him permission to attack Job, but has to, uh, he can't touch Job's body. Then Job stays faithful. God's, uh, Satan goes back before God again. He says, he's only being faithful because you won't let me touch him. And so God says, okay, you can touch his body, just spare his life. And so Job, or Satan brings boils all over Job's body. Now, that's chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 3, um, Job refuses to... to uh, to curse God and die like his wife asked him to. Um, and so Job remains faithful. Then, really, chapters 4 through, I think it's chapter 4 chapter 5, but all the way through chapter 26, we have um, Job's ha- Job has three friends. Now, they're called friends, and the Bible calls them friends, so I'm going to keep calling them friends, okay? But they weren't very good friends. And so these, these friends, they come in, and they say to Job, hey, listen, Job, man, sorry to see you going through this. In fact, those guys sat with him, in ashes, with, in sackcloth and ashes for seven days. Okay? So we, we might say they're not very good friends, and that's true in some ways, but would you go sit with someone for seven days? Like, I'm going to go make a hospital visit for like 30 minutes and i got to go, you know? And if there's sackcloth and ashes, you know, you're going to have to find someone else, you know? So these are, these guys, they sat with them, but then for, really for the next, you know, from chapter 5 until chapter 26, um, they accuse Job constantly of, of, uh, of having hidden sin in his life. And so uh, the, the three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Eliphaz accuses Job. Job responds. Bildad accuses Job. Job responds. Zophar accuses Job, and Job responds. Then they start the whole cycle over again. All three friends, same thing. Then, guess what? They start the cycle again, and it goes back to Eliphaz and Bildad. Now, then we come, and, and that's where chapter 26 ends. Then we come to chapter 27, and verse number 1, it says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said... Now, before we continue, um, we should understand a couple things. Somebody raise your hand or just blurt out, what is a parable? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's the, that's the definition that I learned growing up, okay? Uh, give me an example of a parable. So we're in the seed. Yes. Okay. Now, when we talk about parables, and we talk about Jesus telling parables, 
what do we give me like tell me something about them? Uh, are they specific? Are they general? Are they um, are they true? Or are they are they just stories? What, what is it? John. I'm usually general and not an actual occurrence. Yeah, usually they're general and not an actual occurrence. In fact, that's that's the reason the the um, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I believe that's real because it's, <laughs> if it wasn't, it's the only parable where where Jesus used actual names. Okay, he never uses names in parables. Okay. So um, I've given you like the definition of parable in, in the Greek. The word is para, uh, parabole, and it is it means to come alongside. Okay, so Jesus would tell a story, and it would come alongside the truth to illustrate truth. And then he would say something. A lot of times he'd say something like, "Let those uh, those that have ears to hear, let them hear." Right. So he was teaching a a, a fact by telling a uh, a mythical story. That didn't actually happen, but he's teaching a truth through that. Now, so then we come to here where it says, Moreover, Job continued his parable. Chapter 27 sort of begins a new section of the book. Up to chapter 26, it was, like I said, it was the three cycles of debates. It was accusation, defense, accusation, defense. Um, now, here's something that, that just would drive me nuts if I was Job, is that they were making their judgment of Job based on on outcome alone. None of them had any reason to look at Job and say, well, Job, you know, I know you say you're innocent, but here's what I'm seeing you do. Job, you know, I know you say you're innocent, but man, I tell you what, you kind of lost your temper over there and you've been losing your temper a lot lately and I think you need to confess it. No, they were simply saying, Job, there's no way this stuff happens to a righteous man. The things you've gone through, there's no way it happens to a righteous man. So you must have wickedness in your life. And that's what they made their basis on. We cannot do that. We cannot judge based on outcome. We can't judge someone else. Now, we, right, uh, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. We, we're not supposed to judge people. Of course we are. We're supposed to judge actions. Um, we, we, can, we can't judge the heart with which it's done because we can't see the heart. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And so they were looking at the outward appearance, and they were making a judgment about the heart. You just can't do that. So... Uh, it says here, as they really, like I said, we transition from chapter 26 of the defense to chapter 27, but it says, moreover, Job continued his parable. Now, um, what, okay, so what does that word really mean? Well, we, we, sometimes that's how I define things. I'll get up and say, what that word really means is, like, give me, give me an example of a word that I will say that about, that I have said, because I've said it many times. Come on. How about perfect? Right? In the old English, it didn't mean sinless or flawless. It meant uh, complete, mature. Okay? Um, concupiscence. How many of you used that word in the last couple weeks? I did because uh, some, the, the meaning of it is uh, the desire for the forbidden. Okay? Um, hey, Adam and Eve, don't touch that one tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden. One rule. But concupiscence p- kicks it, and we go... Why can't I have it? Now I want it. If you hadn't said anything, maybe I wouldn't. Have, maybe I would have been okay, right? And so we say, well, concupiscence really means is. And so we say that about the different things. Now, um, I'm actually what I'm actually telling you when I when I describe parable as to come alongside. What I'm actually describing for you is the meaning of the Greek word. 
Okay? The meaning of the Greek word is to come alongside. But sometimes we define the English word because it's a word that might mean something different now, like the word perfect or the, the word conversation. Um, and so we define those things. So we need to be, maybe, maybe I need to be a little bit more particular about how I define those. But uh, we could say, well, the word parable in the New Testament means to come alongside. But the, the English word parable can have a broader meaning as it does here in Job 26.1. Job is not telling us a fictional story to teach us a lesson. That's not what he's doing here. About half the time, I think that, that word is used like 48 times, I'm uh, sorry, 42 times I think, or 40 times, I don't remember. Uh, 19 times it's translated proverb, 18 times it's translated parable. Okay, So that word is, is translated both different ways. Uh, Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1, it says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Would anybody read the book of Proverbs and say it's a bunch of fictional stories? No, because that's not what it meant. Uh, so the Hebrew word uh, usage can be similar to the Greek word. It has some similarities to the Greek word in that it's teaching something, um, but it does seem to be a broader word. So even the, the uh, and it can include a story for comparison. It can include poems, proverbs, and other sayings of wisdom. So what we're reading here, I just want us to be clear, what we're reading here is not fictional stories. Like when Jesus would tell a parable, uh, he was using a story to teach a lesson. That's not what's going on here. So I think that's important that we know that. Now, Job has responded to the first, the second, and third speeches and accusations from his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, with one exception. There was no third accusation from Zophar. Um, and so we, I, I have to guess that between chapter 26 and 27, there might have been a pause, like maybe a lengthy pause where Job was like waiting for Zophar. Like, okay, it's your turn. You know, go ahead, give it to me. And, and Zophar seems to not have given the third one. Um, so was Job expecting that next speech, but it never came? Well, then, if, if, if not, and it doesn't, it's not recorded if it did, if not, why did, uh, why did they not give the third speech? Why did Zophar stop? Well, do you think maybe Job convinced them that he's finally convinced them that I'm not guilty? And they're like, oh, man, sorry, Job, our bad. No, in fact, at the end of the book, in the last chapter, we see God rebuke the three friends because they had not treated him well. We see no evidence of uh, repentance, no evidence of hey man, our bad, we should, have, we should have thought through this through a little bit better. We don't see that at all. So the only thing I can think of is that they were like, he's too stubborn, we give up. Job is just not listening, and so fine. If this is how he wants to live his life, fine, we're just going to let him live his life. And uh, he won't hear good counsel. So after the silence, then we come to where he continues his speech. Job continues his parable in verse number 2. So verse 2, as God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul. Um, he says, so as God liveth. Now, this is something that is important. It's dangerous, but not forbidden. Okay? Um, he says, as God liveth. Be really careful about using God's name, right? Don't use God's name in vain. Don't use God's name as, a, as, a, um, uh, as an oath when you may not be telling the complete truth. Okay? So he says, as God liveth. Um, Job swears on the life of God as God lived. He swears on the life of God. Now, uh, we might say, hey, that you should do that. 
Now, Job was not the only one in the Bible to say such a thing. Some said things like, as the Lord lives. David did it, Saul did it, Elisha did it. All them said, as the Lord lives or as the Lord liveth. Um, and other people did too. There's, there's several uses of that in the Old Testament. Yet, Jesus said not to swear at all. He said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. So, is, was Jesus saying, don't do that? Was Jesus saying, don't say things like, as God liveth? Well, Jewish tradition had taken Leviticus 19.12. It says this, And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. And so they took that to mean that you could not swear falsely in the name of God, but you could find a way around it. So the Jewish people, they didn't, um, especially as, as tradition took over and as the legalism took over, um, it became not about the heart of the person that was Keeping the law, it became about the letter of the law and what tradition had added to it. And so, and so Jesus says, hey, uh, he's not teaching that you should never take a formal oath. He's not saying it's wrong. As some people believe, it's not wrong to go into court and put your hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Uh, that's not wrong. It's wrong if you're not going to tell the truth. But it doesn't matter if you swear on the Bible or if you swear on the, the name of God if it doesn't matter. You should always tell the truth, even when you don't, right? So, uh, so Jesus wasn't saying never take a formal oath. He was teaching that your words should mean what they mean. You should tell the truth. So Job here is not taking God's name in vain, and he did not swear by God's name falsely. So after repeating his claim for innocence, he's now saying in the strongest terms that he could, I am telling the truth. I am innocent of the charges. Now he says there, that um, he says, as God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul. What does that mean, that God had taken away his judgment? Well, by definition, judgment is supposed to be just, right? It's not always. Um, and, and, and our, in our culture, and, and because of sinful man, it's not always uh, just. But here's what he's saying, basically. He's, he says, I feel like I've lost my innocence in the eyes of them. Now, Job wasn't admitting to not being innocent. He was simply saying that God has taken away my innocence in the eyes of men. And that's understandable because he, had, he was doing the right things, yet God allowed things into his life. Now, Job doesn't know the backstory. He doesn't know that God was simply allowing Satan to do it uh, and why he was allowing it. That's why he keeps asking why. Um, and so he doesn't know why, but he says, I feel like I've, my judgment is taken away. I'm not being dealt with justly. That's the way he felt. If you read, if you're if you're new to our study here, but we've been going through this for the last couple of months, that's the way he felt. He felt like he was not being felt dealt with justly, and he says here that that the Almighty has vexed his soul. But he's not cursing God, and he's not cursing God's name. Um, so by acknowledging that God is Almighty, he's admitting that God has at least allowed his turmoil. But he's also trusting that God's in control. So he's saying, uh, hey, I feel like my justice is gone. And the Almighty, who hath vexed my soul. So he calls him Almighty. He's saying he is the Almighty. And he is just and he is righteous and he can do whatever he wants. But I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly. You ever, you ever felt like you're kind of torn between two things? Like, I know what the Bible says. I know what the truth is. Yet I still feel this way. I'm certain you have because I know I have. Um, now, um, 
The Almighty is the one who can allow these turmoils in our lives, but he is also the one who can give us strength and grace to make it through it faithfully. And so um, Job is coming to the point, he's going to get to the point where he really begins to fully trust God through this. But this has been tough. I can't imagine what he's dealt with. Verse 3. I don't, I'm planning to get through two chapters tonight, but don't worry, I won't keep you that long. Verse 3. All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. So really, verses 3 and 4 are the oath he's making, right? In verse number, uh, verse number 2, as God liveth, and then he describes God. He's the one who's taken away his judgment. He's the one who's vexed his soul. But then he says, all the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. My lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. So, uh, he's saying, as long as I'm alive, as long as there's breath in me, I will not speak wickedly or dishonestly. Then his friends had accused him of speaking dishonestly. That's what they had been accusing him of. Job, you're lying. You know there's sin in your life. That's the only reason God would ever allow this kind of thing. And so they've accused him over and over of, of lying. He says, as long as, first of all, I haven't done it. As long as there's breath in me, I'm not going to do it. Job is not claiming to be sinless. He's claiming to be righteous. And there's a difference, right? None of us in here are sinless, but when we stand before God, we're righteous. And we stand before him uh, when we've confessed our sins, when we've repented of our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we stand before him righteous. Job is saying, I have no unconfessed sin in my life. He, now, um, you know, for instance, if you talk about the, um, uh, the, uh, the qualifications for a bishop, he must be blameless. That doesn't mean sinless or I'm out, okay? Um, but it means that there, there, there should not be a pattern of sin, especially of unconfessed sin. There should not be a pattern in that person or he becomes disqualified. So I think Job, what he's saying here is I'm blameless, basically. He's saying I, I don't have, um, all the stuff you're accusing me of simply doesn't stick. Now, verse 5. God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast, and I will not let it go, and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. Notice here that Job refuses to fall on the sword. He refuses to capitulate to the accusations and demands of his friends. I don't know if I've used the word capitulate in a long time, but it, when, I was, when I was writing down my notes, it came to mind, and I'm like, that's, it, that's what I want to say. Now, it is not ethical to lie and to admit to something you've not done. Okay? You know, well, I'm just going to take one for the team, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say I did it. Okay? Um, now, if Job had done that, then he would have spoken wickedness and deceit. Now, here's, here's what that could have done. If Job would have just said, you know what, guys, you're right, I'm sorry. You know, I, I had some anger. My wife was nagging me the other day, and uh, I mean, I, I've heard that happens. It doesn't happen in my house. But, um, but my wife was really bugging me, and I blew up at her, and I yelled at her, and I feel bad about it. So you're right. I had some sin in my life, but I'm going to confess it. Job would not be honest to say that. Um, it might have eased the tensions with his friends, but it would not have been just. And so he knew his conscience would not allow him to admit to something he hadn't done. Another outcome that would have happened if Job had been dishonest here is that the lesson of this book would be missed. Job was learning to trust God in this turmoil. His turmoil is far greater than anything I've been through and anything I ever hoped to go through. But whatever the turmoil is in our lives, we're learning from Job how to handle that turmoil. And that is to trust God during that time. 
It's a whole different lesson if the turmoil was a result of his sinfulness, right? If Job had come out and said, if we didn't have the backstory, Job had come out and said, yeah, I've sinned, we would be, we'd be going, man, you know, tell you, we can learn from Job. We can learn about having unconfessed sin in our lives and we could, we could compare it to the sin of Achan or something. Then we could say, I've got, we can learn from that. But what we're learning here is not about how to deal with turmoil when we have sin in our lives. We're learning about how to deal with turmoil when we don't have sin in our lives. Because both of those are possible uh, situations. Now, Job's unwillingness to accept the blame is admirable. But that doesn't mean we should be obstinate and never take one for the team. But how do we do that? Well, as leaders, we must accept responsibility for some of the failures of those under our leadership. That's part of leadership. Is you have to sometimes say, that's my bad. That's on me. Now, that doesn't mean you lie. That doesn't mean you say, um, yeah, he destroyed that uh, new piece of equipment at work. No, that was me. I did it. Now, you could say, listen, that's on me. Um, I did not train him well enough. Um, I, I did not have a, a, a good system in place for checking that piece of equipment out or whatever it is. Um, and so we, we, have, we could say I appointed the wrong person for the job or I didn't watch the events closely enough or we, clear, we didn't make our expectations clearly known, whatever it is. There is responsibility that leadership has to take. It, it is not dishonest for the leader to say that one is on me as long as he's still being honest and not being deceitful. But there's a difference in not accepting responsibility in Job's situation and attempting to blame others to take the blame off of ourselves. Okay? So um, we say, I'm not going to accept responsibility. Job says, I'm not taking responsibility for that. There's a difference in that when it's true um, than to take the blame off of ourselves by being dishonest. Okay? Um, Or even by being honest. But if we're trying, it's what's the motive behind it? All right, verse 7. We've got to continue. Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that riseth up against me as the unrighteous. Now, in, in many cultures, when someone is accused of wrongdoing, um, and they're accused falsely, the one who falsely accused them would face the same punishment as the wrongdoing would have brought on the other person. Okay? So if I say, um, you know, um, let's see, who could I pick on today? Mike. Uh, that's what you get for sitting close. Um, you notice I normally pick on men because I'm smart. Okay, so um, but I could say, you know what, um, Mike was out there. He was helping uh, Brian Duggins work in the yard, and, um, and so man, I can tell you what, Mike backed his truck over the uh, the new weed whip, um, and really I did it. Um, but I'm like, there's no cameras. I'm going to blame Mike, and he's it's believable, right? And it's Mike. No, yeah, but it's believable. So I'd say, um, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pass that on the mic. Well, of course, that's dishonest. But what would happen is if it would, the truth is found out that I, that I lied about it, then I would get the punishment. Let's, let's say I know John Hunley did it. Um, he doesn't see so well anymore. And so, uh, and so John Hunley did it, but uh, I accused Mike of it. Well, it doesn't matter who did it. I'm going to face the punishment if it's found out that I accused somebody falsely. Okay? So uh, if the punishment for stealing a donkey was three years in prison, and someone who falsely accused someone else of stealing a donkey would face three years in prison. Job, so think about what he's asking here. Let mine enemy be as the wicked, and he that rises up against me as the unrighteous. So that's the culture, but Job is saying, those guys need to face what they've accused me of. 
And it, that seems harsh, but it was just. All right, verse 8. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? By the way, if we had that policy in place in our nation, we would live in a different place. Like, if you falsely, you purposely falsely accuse someone else of something, man, Washington would be a different place. Um, and by the way, so would the local church. Um, all right, verse 8. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he hath gained, though he, uh, though he hath gained, when God taketh away his soul. So what's the hope of the hypocrite? Okay, he gained something, but God's going to take away his soul. Verse 9. Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? And so Job agrees with the statement that the, that the, about the wicked that the three accusers had made. The three accusers, and I know if you've been in here, you know we've, I've said this several times, but they had good theology many times. They had good doctrine many times. They would say something, and you'd read it, and you'd go, yep, that's right. The problem is they misapplied it to Job. They would describe the wicked man, and they would apply it to Job, but Job wasn't wicked. But their description of what the wicked man is was correct. So... Um, the, the hypocrite has no hope. At least he does not have hope in the long term. Does he have the hope that God will come to his rescue when he's been dishonest? Well, he shouldn't. Uh, in fact, sometimes we won't call on God because we know we're being hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's possible we just don't know that he did, but uh, Peggy was just saying, you know, he's got so much confidence to, to say, I am completely innocent of that. And she said she'd be tempted to go to God, probably would go to God and say, okay, is there something I've missed? Uh, this Sunday night, uh, we will we'll have Lord, we'll be observing the Lord's table, observing the Lord's Supper, and I will give you a few moments to examine your own heart. Hopefully, you don't come in that night going, yeah, I know this is, I know I got the sin in my life, but I don't really care. Because that's where, that's where I believe the Bible, when, when Paul talks about uh, taking of it and eating of that table unworthily, uh, that's what he's talking about. Somebody who has the wrong heart in it. Okay? And so I'm going to give you a few moments to examine your own heart. But Job is so confident. And he knows I haven't done anything. And the uh, scripture, we have everything to back it up to saying that's, that Job's absolutely right here. Yeah. And their attitude actually is um, revealed in chapter 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly what they think of Job. They think he's being righteous in his own eyes. Chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Um, yeah. And that we're going to get. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they didn't. They've, they've done that in several chapters. Several of their responses have, have accused Job of being hypocritical. And he's like, no, you're being hypocritical. You know. Now, he's not accusing them of having this moral, morally gross sin in their lives. It's very possible these were good moral men. But they were sinful in the way that they judged him without having the right to judge him in that way. Um, now, uh, okay. Um, I was going to say something. I forgot what it was. We'll come back. It'll come back to um, 
Job had appealed to God over and over, and he has no regrets about it because he has he was not a hypocrite in his, as his friends thought he was. Now, if you have been hypocritical, should you not call upon God for help in that trouble? Should you? You should? Okay. How many of you think you should call upon God when you've been a hypocrite? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Explain it to us, Gabe. Um, now, what's that? Okay. <laughs> no, um, we, we should go to God. As believers, we should always go to God. His door is always open. But we cannot go to him expecting him to hear our prayer when we have unconfessed sin. So we go to him, God, um, I know I've been a hypocrite. And I, and Lord, I, I know it. I'm wrong. It's sinful. And I want to ask you to forgive me of it. I know you will, but um, Lord, will you hear me now? Will you, will, can, you know, you confess whatever it is that's going on in your heart. And then say, God, will you help me through it? So of course we should. We should it's, like, it's like your children. I never want my kids to feel like they can't come to me because, well, I did wrong. I can't go to dad. No, please come to dad. But come to me with the repentant heart that I shouldn't have done this, but I, you know, um, I'm sorry for it. And dad's going to be there to help you. Dad's going to be there. All right. Um, verse 11. I will teach you by the hand of God that which is with the Almighty will I not conceal. Behold, all ye yourselves have seen it. Why then are ye thus altogether vain? Harsh words from Job. Um, now he's about to leech and, uh, teach, launch into a teaching session of his on his three friends, and many things he would say are in line with what they had already said to him. So we're gonna, he doesn't disagree with them. Of course, he just disagrees with their application. But he's going to teach them about the hand of God or the corrective nature of the Father. He says, "I cannot conceal it. Why? Because they've already seen it." But then he asks the question, "Why have you spoken vanity to me?" They had spoken many truths, and we, we've gone through those. They've spoken many truths, but those things were empty because it was misapplied. You may have knowledge, you may have facts, but if it's misapplied, it doesn't matter. Um, in my, my background in electronics engineering, there were a lot of formulas that we had to learn. Um, the, the most common formula in electronics is called Ohm's Law. Uh, I know John knows it. I know Mike has probably learned it. Uh, Eric, I'm sure, knows it. Uh, Jordan. Um, but Ohm's law is where you, you, you voltage divided by um, resistance gives you uh, current. No, gives you um, power, watts. Okay. And so you take that, and then there's another part of Ohm's law where you multiply voltage times the current, and then you get. Um, you, sorry, voltage divided by. It's been a long time. Voltage divided by a current gives you resistance, or voltage divided by resistance gives you current. Voltage times that current then becomes watts or power. Okay? Aren't you glad you came? Um, but if I take that and I misapply it and I go, you know what? I've got this electronic issue. I'm going to use Ohm's law on it. Well, if Ohm's law doesn't, re doesn't work on it, if it doesn't apply to it, it's empty. It's vain. It really, in fact, it's, it's hurtful, isn't it? Um, now, uh, let's, I'm going to finish this chapter and we'll do it quickly. I don't know that we're going to do it quickly. So I may have to come back to it next week. But let me, look, I'm not done yet. Don't close your Bibles. It's only 7.59. I've got plenty of time. Um, 
verse 13, and then next, next week I'll, I'll continue with verse 14. Verse 13, let's finish with this. This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage of oppressors, when they shall receive of the, which they shall receive of the Almighty. God's going to bring something to the oppressors. God's going to bring something to the, uh, to the wicked man. And so God's going to, uh, Job is going to begin to describe how God treats the wicked man. Many of the things he describes are going to match and look like his turmoil. As we get to verse 14, we're going to see that this is going to fit his situation. And so he's admitting that his situation looks like that of a wicked man. Yet he still feels that his friends were unjust. Why? Because they were basing their judgment on results, not on wicked, any wicked thing they had seen in Job. Well, we might sympathize with his friends and say, well, if I was where they are, I might think the same thing. Came in from out of town just to see my friend and seeing what he's going through. There's just no way that this is anything but sin that's caused it. And I can see where they came to their conclusion. But shame on us if we do the same thing they did and judge a man by his circumstances without any deeds to support it. You see, as, as a believer, if, if I run across someone... If I see someone, maybe it's a friend who I haven't seen in a long time, someone from out of town, and I'm marking where I left off so I don't forget next week. And I haven't seen them in a long time, and, and, I, and you know, they come into town, or I come into town, and I see them, and I see their man, they're going through a tough time. Do you think that person needs me to come up with a judgment on them, or do you think that person needs me to love them and encourage them? That's what they need. You know, if you see something, that, and, you can, and it's clear that there's been sin in their life, then as a good friend, in love, and only if the motivation is love, not judgment, but in, in love you can go to that person and say, hey, do you think maybe this is causing, this could be part of the problem? Listen, I know this isn't good. This is something that's, that's not, it's sinful. But more than anything, Job needed his friends to love him and encourage him like they did at the very beginning. And instead he got nothing but judgment. And I believe the turmoil in Job's life became, it became much more than just the physical turmoil of losing everything, the physical turmoil of what he went through, and certainly there was emotional pain with all of that, but it was only exasperated by his friends who did not love him and they judged him instead. And so let's, let's love, each, love, love each other instead of judging each other. Somebody's going through a hard time, don't assume you know why it is. Um, yeah, I'm just going to end with that. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.